This episode is brought to you by Shopify. No matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take your business to the next level. Shopify is the commerce platform that makes it easy to show up and sell exactly the way you want to. No need to code or design. Sign up for your $1 per month trial period today. Visit shopify.com slash offer 23 to get started. On August 31st, 2022, one year ago, there were some major filings in the lawsuit in which Ramsey Solutions, legally known as the Lampo Group, had been sued by a former employee who was fired after she asked for FMLA paperwork. The problem, Lampo argued, wasn't that she was pregnant. It was that she was unmarried and had violated their stated value of righteous living by having sex as a single individual. The late August 2022 filing included attached discovery documents that shed a lot of light on what had been happening internally for quite some time. Last fall, my friend Melissa Hogan, who also happens to be a brilliant attorney whose own life has been very intertwined in this situation, joined me to record a conversation giving her impressions on what she observed from the discovery documents. Some of these documents were talking about Melissa. I shared this with my Patreon community after we recorded this, but since it's been a year since there has been movement in this lawsuit, and I've never publicly shared this, I decided this was a good time to share it with all of you. Keep in mind as you're listening that we recorded this in November of 2022, so any mention of recent or upcoming dates needs to be filtered through the fact that this conversation happened almost a year ago. Stay tuned to the end of this conversation for information and how you can see the source material for all of this discussion for yourself. At the end of August of this year, in one of the lawsuits regarding Ramsey Solutions, also known as the Lampo Group, lawyers for Ramsey Solutions filed over 1,000 pages of documents. This included transcripts of depositions from Dave Ramsey and board members, as well as copies of emails they had sent. I recently had a conversation with lawyer and my good friend, Melissa J. Hogan, and I asked her if she would help us better understand what is happening with these lawsuits involving Ramsey Solutions. Anytime I look at these cases, I go back a lot to John 3.20, which is, for everyone who does evil hates the light and avoids it so that his deeds may not be exposed. You know, it just reminds me that we should all be living in a way that if a camera was following us around, our goal is to be able to stand by whatever we've said or done. We talked about three ongoing lawsuits, and one of these lawsuits impacted Melissa personally. So these are the words of board members, the words of Dave himself. So this is why it is particularly interesting to the case and and why I think people should pay attention because this is Dave's own words and and his inner circle, their own words. And I had no idea God would use a case related to a woman I didn't know at all who got pregnant to start to reveal and peel back the curtain. That people can use the name of God and the idea of prayer and the idea of supporting people in ways that are so damaging and so deceptive. So at one point in Jen Sievertson's deposition, and Jen Sievertson is the chief marketing officer of Ramsey, they asked her about Bible verses about throwing stones at people. And 
She said, I believe there's a story about that. And they asked, do you remember the context? And she said, loosely, yes. They asked, what was it? What do you remember? She said, a woman that was engaged in sexual immorality was being brought before the Pharisees. And they said, okay, and wasn't Jesus involved in that story? She said, yes. They said, didn't he encourage the Pharisees not to throw stones at the woman who was engaging in premarital sex? She said, I believe so. And here's the question. So is Ramsey's solutions more like the Pharisees or the woman? Today, Melissa J. Hogan joins me for an update on the lawsuits that involve the Lampo Group, also known as Ramsey Solutions. Some of you may be wondering, why are we highlighting this at all? As you'll hear Melissa explain, we value transparency in this. The legal system is set up in a way that is meant to be transparent, but not everyone knows where to find information, and not everyone knows how to interpret that information once they access it. We wanted to provide a way for those who have not been able to find this information or make sense of it to hear an explanation of what has been happening. Here's my conversation with Melissa. And anytime I look at these cases, I go back to a lot to John 320, which is for everyone who does evil, hates the light and avoids it so that his deeds may not be exposed. Mm -hmm. You know, it just reminds me that we should all be living in a way that if a camera was following us around 24 hours a day, that our our goal is to be able to stand by whatever we've said or yeah. done. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't mean we're perfect. Of course, if a camera were actually following us, it would, you know, we screw up, we mess up, but our goal is to live in such a way that whatever we have done or said could be exposed by a camera and that we're consistent that who we are, who that camera captures in a secret meeting of the board is the same person that that camera would capture at home or out to dinner with friends or at church on Sunday. Yeah. So you have, it's, it's not that you have special access to information about these cases. Um, it's that not everybody knows where to look this is information that is publicly available that we are talking about. It's not something that you only had because you are a lawyer. These, there have been filings and attachments in the lawsuits related to Ramsey. And we're going to just kind of give people an update on what's still ongoing and where we are with those. And then we're going to talk a little more deeply about some of the things that we've learned from the filings. Right. And you know, I'm really passionate about people having access to justice. And one of the ways we have access to justice is to be able to access legal filings and understand why courts do what they do and what's happening so that we can have confidence in the judicial system and not just for lawyers. So yes, anybody could access this information. But I will say the things we're going to talk about are obviously filings that people could access publicly. But I, I do have, as you know, private yeah. information and private documents and recordings. And- yeah. So as the things uh, refer to your you and your life, you do have some personal um, knowledge. So right. you're coming in at this from your interest as a lawyer, interest in justice and light shining in the darkness, and that this has a significant, one of these cases has significant overlap with you. Well, one, two. maybe two, yeah, two have <laughs> overlap with your life and your personal experience. Yeah. 
So what's still happening? What is ongoing? All right. So at this point, we only have three active cases uh, that we could put our hands on. And I just did a quick perusal. And, you know, as an attorney, sometimes I really like being able to use my experience and my education to look at something and, you know, help people understand it better. So the three outstanding cases right now are two cases in federal court, which is the Amos case and the O'Connor case. And both of those are employment cases. And then there is a case in Williamson County Court, and that is the Hogan case. <laughs> so maybe we should start with that one to get okay, to sure. get that one out of the way. This is the case that uh, after Ramsey terminated my ex-husband's employment, they saw him engaging in behavior that they believed violated the non-compete agreement that he had with them. So they filed for a temporary restraining order to keep him from doing that. And this is that case. It was in 2021, but the last filing was in January of 22. So, you know, about 11 months ago, and it's really just been sitting there. So we don't really know what's happening. They could be engaging in discovery. They could just allow it to sit out there as kind of a warning shot, shot across the bow a threat, don't do this kind of stuff, or it could just quietly go away. Yeah. So that's the local case. And then the other two cases are in the middle district of Tennessee, which is federal court. Uh, The first is the Amos case that was originally filed in Williamson County. And then it was refiled in federal court Mm -hmm. as an employment action. And that one focuses mainly on the disagreements related to COVID protocols and a gentleman who said, Hey, my faith dictates for me to care for my family and to care for my neighbor by wearing a mask and trying to work from home. He had relied upon, or or it appears that he had relied upon a bunch of promises that Ramsey had made when he took the job from California and moved his family. And so that case like all these cases is under a protective order. So it's in the dark at this point um, Mm -hmm. with respect to discovery. And I believe there's an outstanding motion to dismiss that has not been ruled on by the court. And what we find is in federal court, they are notoriously slow Mm -hmm. in ruling on motions because it's just backlogged cases. It's not that they're doing anything wrong. So that's outstanding. They're doing discovery and depositions. All of that is supposed to be done in February. And uh, dispositive motions, which would be like a motion for summary judgment that could dispose of the case are due in um, April. But right now they're supposed to be engaging in settlement talks. And they engaged in a, a settlement exchange where Ramsey apparently didn't do what the court had asked them to do, mm-hmm. which was to give a counteroffer. So the court, uh, the magistrate, who is um, kind of the the judge that assists with the day-to-day, uh, was not very happy about that <laughs> and said, you need to go back into this. Uh, within 14 days, uh, Ramsey, you need to make a counteroffer. And then you guys need to engage in mediation uh, by, I think it's March of next year. Maybe that case will settle. We'll see. Yeah, it's interesting. Now, so their initial counter counter offer didn't it include like more threats 
towards Amos? That's what the plaintiff alleged. He made a, an offer of settlement. They did not make a counter offer. And they basically kind of said, hey, if if you do X, we, we, we're going to sue you or, you know, something to that effect. So it seems to be a very contentious exchange. The exchanges with the lawyers have been quite contentious. Yeah. Yeah. One to watch. Yeah. And uh, there's one more case and we've talked about this before and it is the more, it has more information out there. It's much more, I don't know. It's bigger. It feels bigger because of all the work that's already been done on it and all the work that has all the filings that have already happened. And there, after you and I talked, which was the end of August, close to the end of August, there was a big filing that actually happened um, with lots of attachments I don't know how many pages you could probably tell me how many pages of attachments there were hundreds, probably Uh, Um, there were probably about 1500 pages. I think, you know, anyone again can look at this. It's all out there, but it will take a lot of time and it takes a little bit of uh, background understanding to be able to connect the dots on all of these things. There are redactions in there that are supposed to protect uh, the identities of people that are not connected to the case. You know, some of the redactions are very clearly um, about you. And so this is, this is an interesting uh, conversation to have. So let's talk about this final case, the O'Connor lawsuit. So it originally was set for trial in April of this year. So if, which was months ago, right. If people haven't followed you and I were deposed last fall Mm -hmm. and you know, Part of me hoped, gosh, the trial is going to happen in April and this phase of my life will be done Yeah, because, you know, it's, it's drug out for a long time. And I had no idea that God would use a case related to a woman I didn't know at all who got pregnant to start to reveal and peel back the curtain. Um, But that trial date was canceled because there was an, again, an outstanding motion by Ramsey for summary judgment. A motion for summary judgment typically happens when both parties, the plaintiff and the defendant, agree on the substantive matters in the case. What they are saying is, hey, judge, we're in agreement here. Can you just make a judgment for us? You know, there's no disputed issues of material fact or important facts, and we're entitled to judgment. And that is what really started the ball rolling in terms of um, the protective order being being reduced and pulled sure. back and things mm-hmm. becoming public, which I find a significant irony there. Yeah. The plaintiffs responded saying, we aren't in agreement. They needed to file a response to this motion for summary judgment. And in order to show why they were against this motion, they told the judge that they needed to attach certain things that had already been exchanged in discovery, including different documents and some information from specific depositions. Right. And because of how the nature of the court system, it is supposed to be a public system where people can see what happens and why. It's it's not a good thing for things to be shrouded in darkness. It's certainly not biblical. Yeah. Um, but it's it's not faithful to how the United States was was built in our constitution for for how things should operate. So it, it there is an irony that it was Ramsey who filed that motion, and then that's what really started the ball rolling for things to become public, which is what they were trying to avoid. And I think we yeah. 
seen that consistently. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a really strange thing to be so personally affected by a lot of this, but then also as an attorney to look at these cases and, um, and then also to personally know the attorney's uh, that are representing Ramsey. Yeah. And, and I just want to say too, um, a, attorneys do their work to, and try to do it faithfully. I believe, especially if they're believers and I have no ill will towards these attorneys, um, their outside attorney, everything I know about her is that she is a good person mm-hmm. and a very good attorney. And, you know, I, I'm sure my guess is she did not know a lot of this before she waded into this space. And she's, yeah. you know, there's, there's not been things that, um, that I would hold against her, their inside attorney, you know, same situation. I do believe, you know, he should be accountable for the way he handled the cease and desist letters to yeah. all of you, mm-hmm. just whether he knew, you know, the, the real basis or not, but, but it was a very unkind and and pretty manipulative letter. So that, so that being said, they're doing their jobs. And I think they're trying to represent their client in the best way that they can, which is our ethical obligation Absolutely. as a Yeah. But there are some interesting <laughs> things in all of this. Yeah. Um, Late on August 31st, 2022, and very early in the morning on September 1st, the documents that the plaintiffs had been waiting for Ramsey to file were filed. And as Melissa looked through those documents late that evening and early the next morning, she saw many documents that referenced her. I sat on the floor in my closet while on the phone with Melissa as we tried to make sense of some of the horrible communications that had happened regarding Melissa and her personal life. It was hard. It was hard to read and reframe you know, what I, what was, what I knew was happening in my life and what I knew was happening in my world, what they were telling me at the time, what they were telling me, what my then husband was telling me, but then actually what they, I now find out they were saying in emails. Yeah. And it, it's one of those things that kind of makes your brain crack because the inconsistency and just the obfuscation and hypocrisy there is so large that it's, mm-hmm. it, there's just a grief there. Like I had a lot of grieving, you know, I don't, I've had a lot of grieving over, over the past several years to realize people um, are not the same people uh, all the time mm-hmm. and yeah. that people can use the name of God and the idea of prayer and the idea of supporting people in ways that are so damaging and so deceptive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So as you looked through these attachments um, that just came out this fall, the, the really interesting thing is these are these attachments are depositions, and uh, included in that are copies of emails that are sent. So these are the words of board members, the words of Dave himself. Um, so this is why it is particularly interesting to the case and, and why I think people should pay attention because this is Dave's own words and and his inner circle, their own words about their actions and how they made decisions and how they talked about people. And and like I said, I mean, God is an all knowing God Mm -hmm. and he is that camera that I was saying, theoretically, 
behave in a way that is if a camera was following us around and reported on everything we did, he already knows all that. Yeah. It is interesting though, to see the curtain uh, pulled back on some of those things. Yeah. So at one point in Jen Sievertson's deposition and Jen Sievertson is the uh, Mark chief marketing officer of Ramsey. They asked her about Bible verses about throwing stones at people. And she said, I believe there's a story about that. And the attorney asked, do you recall who the stones were being thrown at? I don't recall stones being thrown. I remember there being a reference to stones being thrown. And they asked, do you remember the context? And she said, loosely, yes. They asked, what was it? What do you remember? She said, a woman that was engaged in sexual immorality was being brought before the Pharisees. And they said, okay. And didn't Jesus, wasn't Jesus involved in that story? She said, yes. They said, didn't he encourage the Pharisees not to throw stones at the woman who was engaging in premarital sex? She said, I believe so. And here's the question. So is Ramsey's solutions more like the Pharisees or the woman? And I think that's a really good question we should consider. What, how did she answer? She said, I never recall having had a discussion about Ramsey's solutions as it relates to that story in the Bible. Maybe they should. Maybe the board should think about that. Here was another good quote in Mark Floyd's deposition. He was the chief financial officer at the time. And they asked him, well, wasn't Mary, Jesus's mother, unmarried when she conceived with him? And he said, yes, she was. And they said, it's a good thing she didn't work for Ramsey Solutions, huh? Less about Bible stories and more about uh, the culture or what we see there was in Michael Finney's deposition. Mm -hmm. And I I fear for him a little bit because uh, usually if you criticize Dave Ramsey, you could get in trouble. But they asked about emails that Dave Ramsey had said related to a particular situation. And he was responding and he said, my experience with Dave's emails is that sometimes Dave can sound a lot more forceful than what he really means. She said, is Dave lying that Jack should not do what he says he should do? And he said, well, my assumption, again, my opinion is that Dave is just frustrated about the situation. We'll start off with something that was interesting that uh, is made me chuckle. And that is that they're clearly <laughs> reading and watching or listening to whatever's being put about out about this case as a, as a good lawyer should do. Yep. But from, from the Ramsey filing defendants response to plaintiff's motion to seal. So this is where they're arguing all of this stuff should stay sealed. And here's why they said, these documents are only at issue because plaintiff has pursued extensive discovery regarding redacted, even going so far as to obtain as obtaining an affidavit from who maintains an extensive blog regarding this and every lawsuit involving defendant and regularly discusses defendant on social media. Who are they talking about? A note for the listeners. This redacted name is clearly Melissa. But what's funny is an extensive blog. I mean, my personal blog has maybe, I don't know, five or six uh, articles related to Ramsey and a gazillion other articles related to lots of other things like yeah. special needs and rare disease and faith. 
Uh, my medium is, you know, I don't know, there's four updates about cases or whatever, and then about why I'm writing this, but you know, I've maintained a blog since 2011 and have a book and have lots of other writings, including peer reviewed research articles. So do I write about this? Yeah. I find it interesting. And well, why it not? Me. Like what's right. Like, if there's nothing to hide, why are they worried about somebody writing about it? Yeah. So, so I found that int- quite interesting. After sharing some of those quotes from depositions from some board members, Melissa and I dug into talking more about some themes that she discovered as she spent time going over these filings in preparation for this conversation. So the themes that I think we've talked before about some of the themes we see in their cases. So one of the issues specifically in that filing was this issue of disclosure. And, you know, their point was, you know, we want to protect third parties by not disclosing this information. And also they said from possibly libelous statements. So if they're disclosing things that are their emails and their information, then basically what they're saying is we, we possibly committed libel and we don't want it to come out. That's and, crazy. you know, the, the thing about libel is the basis for libel is an untrue statement mm-hmm. and it's not libel to say something derogatory or things like that. It's to libel is an untrue statement. So that's saying, Hey, we, we probably said untrue things, or, or maybe they're saying some of the things that other people put in there were not true. I mean, I definitely know some of the things they said were not true. Do you think they knew that they were arguing that or they were they trying to argue possibly that somebody would take that and commit libel from seeing the uh, attachments? No, I think, you know, sometimes you make the best arguments you can. And, and, you know, the reality is in a trial, all of this stuff would come out. Yeah. You know, I think they were hoping to get this over with before it, you know, became public or became a trial and. Um, So they're saying they want to protect third parties, but meanwhile, their track record is not protecting third parties at all. Absolutely. Yeah. So there's a hypocrisy here and a tension as, as we talked about with the got your six meeting, Dave splashed my personal life to a thousand employees without my consent Mm -hmm. and actually lied in how he described it to people. And then actually, um, suggested that somehow I had committed uh, either adultery or some other wrong in my marriage yeah. uh, by saying there's no, there's no angels in this story. Yeah, they expect people to disclose things to them, so they want you, you know, when you're interviewing, to disclose your budget. They want yeah. you to disclose if you're married, which is actually illegal. Um, but in wanting to have a spousal interview, there's a And disclosing a budget, you're disclosing basically if you spend money on medical expenses or childcare, whether or not you're married, what your spouse is like, what, you know, race or gender your spouse is, you know, all of these things. So they want people to disclose things to them. Or if, if there's an accusation, they want you to disclose your personal information. Who do you live with or, or not? What sexual activity are you engaging in? They even went so far to say that when asked if, you know, if somebody was pregnant and somebody said, well, 
you know, one of the questions was, well, what if, you know, they engaged in IVF? And they're like, well, we would expect that they would come in and, and tell us that. Wow. Um, you know, I mean, just the thought of how invasive that is, or let's say you were raped. Mm-hmm. Let's say you were raped and you were pregnant. You should never have to share that with anyone. Yeah. Um, I mean, that is a, like trauma-informed practice 101. Mm-hmm. And the idea that they would expect someone to come in and tell them how they got pregnant, you know, and expect them to say that. And, and if they say, I'm, I'm not telling you fire that person. Wow. Just unbelievable. Yeah. Very invasive. Right. So, you know, they're saying they want to protect people, but their track record is, you know, exposing people's most personal details and requiring mm-hmm. people's most personal details and, you know, and often standing on stage and talking about somebody's wrongs or lying about. Yeah. You know, talking about their marriages, right. making up things about people saying this person right. married poorly or telling people, you know, that somebody left because they're working on their marriage when that is right. very personal and oftentimes not, not true. Often not true. <laughs> now for a quick break. Not long ago, I made a decision that changed my life and my relationships. I started going to counseling, and I'm so glad I did. If you've been considering getting started with counseling, Faithful Counseling makes it so easy to get started. I know you don't like talking on the phone, so it's good news that you can start the process without even picking up the phone to talk to someone. The Untangled Faith Podcast is brought to you by my listeners who support me on Patreon. It is also brought to you by Faithful Counseling. Faithful Counseling is a Christian counseling service with more than 3,000 licensed therapists across all 50 states with access by video or phone sessions or chat or text. There are therapists with expertise in trauma, depression, family conflicts, and more. You can ask for a new counselor at any time, and financial aid is available for those who qualify. Untangled Faith podcast listeners get 10% off their first month from our sponsor, Faithful Counseling. Go to faithfulcounseling.com slash untangled. Fill out a questionnaire, and you'll be matched with a counselor. That's faithfulcounseling.com slash untangled. Now back to the show. Yeah. So that's one thing we see. Another is, we've seen this a lot, related to the gossip policy. And the fact that they say, you know, we, we don't want gossip and that's biblical, but in reality, what the gossip, what they're labeling gossip is we don't allow you to talk negatively about Dave or the company or his family or the work here or somebody above you. But meanwhile, they do want you to gossip. If you think somebody might have engaged in something, they want you to come tell your boss or um, there's a story in in one of the depositions about a, uh, someone who lived in the same apartment complex as a female employee of Ramsey. And they saw her boyfriend in his boxer shorts, walking the dog at 5am. And that, that woman was, was fired by all accounts, at least according to the information. So they want that information. But then again, going on the flip side here, when, um, you know, and I'll out these things, when my father called the company to say, hey, I thought you were, I thought this was a biblical company. What are you doing here? In response to the email that Melissa's father sent to Dave, outlining his concerns, Dave sent a response to the board. 
These are Dave's words regarding Melissa's father. He is apparently a drama queen and makes up his story as he goes. I actually think that his lying and trying to tattletale is worse than actually having an affair. So, you know, you've got this, the boxer short, short boyfriend that that was good. And then that woman was fired, but man, somebody trying to hold your, your guy um, accountable and actually hold your testimony accountable that you have said publicly. Cause I'm not actually here to say that I think it's right necessarily that you should be able to have these standards and get into this personal level of detail. But you know, that's not even why I went to them. I went to yeah. them out of courtesy because I thought it was going to become public. Yeah. And, and really it's the inconsistency, right? Right. It's the inconsistency. So you want yeah. to get ahead of the story. Not yeah. in a deceitful way. I mean, mm-hmm. I was obviously devastated. Yeah. Um, it, you know, it exploded my entire family. Mm-hmm. So another thing that, that you see, it's not a hypocrisy thing, but something as, as a sign that people might need therapy is when you have a pattern of telling people their emotions. Mm. Um, you know, if you've been in therapy for five minutes, you learn that it's not healthy to tell someone, Hey, Amy, you are so angry <laughs> and you need to stop being that way. Mm-hmm. You can yeah. say, I feel like you might be angry with me. Um, but what we see in a lot of these emails is um, Dave saying that um, Caitlin O'Connor is scared and embarrassed. Suzanne Sims told me a lot that I was so angry. And frankly, at the time, I, I was very controlled and, you know, in how I was responding and was not engaging that emotion at all. So it's really unhealthy to tell somebody else or try to tell somebody else how they're, you think they're feeling. Mm-hmm. Another interesting insight that I can really relate to is actually a lack of clarity about the righteous living policy. So there were several instances in the discovery where people didn't necessarily realize that there was this bright line about whether it's premarital sex or, or whatever. And they didn't realize that they were expected to tell this information to Ramsey. So, you know, two kinds of things were they so clear who, on who what wouldn't they, know about the line. And so that there were employees, okay, that, employees that, expressed that, were that they didn't really know. Okay. They didn't know necessarily that this was a bright line mm-hmm. premarital sex. And they also didn't know that they were expected to give this kind of personal information to Ramsey. Sure. And I can really relate to that because, you know, a very interesting uh, part to read in this was, oh, a really good Darvo. Got to love a really good Darvo. You want to tell people what Darvo is? Yes. Oh, so Darvo is, it's, it's an acronym, right? It's D-A-R-V-O. And it's, it's when somebody comes and says, like somebody that's been hurt, uh, a victim, survivor, um, they report something and then that person responds by deny, which is the D and then they attack, which is the A and the R is reverse. They reverse the victim and offender. So that's RVO. And so the person that just came to say, I've been hurt is now being attacked and being told that they are the one that is the problem. And so then that, that other person becomes the victim. Yeah. So there's a really interesting part in Dave's deposition where he said that, you know, 
I came to them and was not credible and because of my behaviors, um, I'm not sure what behaviors he's talking about other than being very calm and, you know, having actually other people that are in the room that were witnesses Mm -hmm. and could very much describe how my manner was and the things I said. So he said that, well, we didn't believe her because she wasn't credible. And they were like, well, didn't what she say turn out to all be true? He's like, yeah, but you know, it's a shame really that she wasn't credible. You know, it would have saved us a lot of time. As if it was as if it was blamed me. Yeah. And he had no firsthand information from his experience with you personally that would show that you were not credible. The only reason he would have to think that you were not credible is I am assuming that he didn't want to believe you're credible. And number two, he was taking the word of this employee of his, your ex-husband, whatever he was saying about you, even though he knew pretty much in real time that Chris had been lying to them and misleading them for a long time, but he decided to, for some reason, believe that even though he was lying about that, he was telling the truth about you. It it takes a lot of suspension of disbelief to, to relate to the idea that they could defend and believe in a situation where they had ample evidence that, you know, somebody had lied to them for 10 years and had multiple affairs that they've admitted to the idea that you would then believe them about something else versus somebody else who, you know, I'm an, I'm an attorney. I ran a nonprofit. Dave actually knew a lot of this information. He had engaged with me in that. I had multiple witnesses there. Oh, so this goes back to the point so he said, you know, it's, it's a shame that we couldn't trust her. And then he even goes further and says that I and my then husband and our church deceived them 10 years prior, 10 and eight years prior when these other affairs happened, that we deceived them. But the reality is I had no idea at that time, one, that there was this bright line or two, that it was in any way my obligation to tell them this information. I mean, I wasn't an employee. Yeah. Yeah. And so I had no, neither did my church or the people, you know, that's, that's bonkers really. Yeah. What's interesting there is he's putting the blame on your church for this past behavior and not bringing it up. But what listeners might not know, and what Dave did not mention was that during the time that he was learning about, like when you came to him that December of 2018, they called your pastor, your, your church leaders that are, that were walking with you through this. And they told them then this is not just in the past. These are things, these things are happening right now, right now. Mm -hmm. And so the things Dave was mad about the past things that they hadn't said to him but he did not want to believe the things that they were telling him were happening in the present, like, right. Or very recent past, like within months or in the last year, they didn't want to believe that. So I just want to clarify that for like employees, former employees and listeners. If the story you have been told is that Chris was fired in 2021 because they finally realized that they had been misled by him and that they didn't know. And when they finally knew they fired him, they had an opportunity to know they were told 
And they decided not to believe people that were independent of the whole situation. And I'm not expecting you to take our word for this. I'm going to share a link with this audio that shows exactly where you can find all of this documentation. Yeah. I mean, four people actually, pastor, you know, multiple elders and, and people, and actually some of these people, people on the board know them personally. Yeah. And some of these church leaders that vouched for what was happening are close personal friends with one board member that is part of making that decision. Yeah. And, you know, they watched the lies happen in real time. So when the meeting started, you know, my husband said one thing and then as he was confronted, he eventually, so they, so not only with this long period, they watched actually the lies happening to their face and in front of them. Mm -hmm. Um, so, I mean, there's no, I mean, that is a complete lack of discernment to then trust, you know, that type of information, but I had no sense, you know, even at that point, I don't, I don't think if I had not expected it to go public, would I have felt an obligation to go to them? I mean, I can't say for sure. Yeah. Um, but that wasn't the the impetus. And it's certainly, you know, I never felt 10 years before that I was somehow supposed to go tell them this yeah. information. I mean, I had three toddlers and a mm-hmm. sick child and my husband was having affairs. And I mean, you know, that's a lot on your yeah. plate. So what else did you see as you were looking at the the filings? Yeah, there, there's clearly seems to be a double standard in how they handle men and women. Um, and even how they speak about them, especially Dave or, or some of, especially Dave's particular, you know, quotes in particular, you know, and we found that in the got your six, if people have not mm-hmm. gone and listened to the two episode, uh, series talking about the got your six and playing the re- Dave's own words. And that's mm-hmm. what I think only God can do that like, yeah. to use our own words and actions to, reveal things, Mm -hmm. but hopefully to convict us of our own behavior. Yeah, call us to account. Give us a chance to wake up and change course. Right. So if they haven't listened to that, I mean, that's, you know, that speech is replete with differing ways speaking about men and women, but this as well, you know, the number of times there were, you know, referrals to women as crazy, or they've got a screw loose, you know, name calling, obviously he called me a world-class bitch. And, you know, and that was in the motion, they were like, well, you know, that was in a different context, but then in this deposition, they asked him and he goes, oh, that's accurate. So yeah, he had a um, chance to say, I shouldn't have said that Right. while he was being deposed. They asked him about this email where they referred to Melissa as a bitch. And he had a chance to say, I shouldn't have said that. And instead he said it, it was accurate. Yeah. I'm working through the process of forgiveness. Mm -hmm. Uh, I work with my therapist on, you know, because I mean, really everybody is a child of God. Dave is a child of God. Mm -hmm. Um, And, and I feel like to hold people account to account is actually a loving action Um, because how can we repent and know the grace of Jesus and the unconditional love if we don't say, Oh, what have I done yeah, and reckon yeah. with our own sin? Yeah. So, but you know, here are some of the things they said about men and about, you know, my now ex-husband hanging on by a thread. We've got to give grace a guy that was hurting uh, a broken guy trying to heal 
um, lying out of shame and fear, a damaged guy, wounded and harmed. Um, you know, the guy was giving a, you know, he was fired, but he was giving an independent contractor status after that, a different guy. And independent contractors, actually, they don't require them to live by the standards. So that's that's yeah. a nice workaround. So yeah, you just see this real inconsistency. And, you know, as we've talked about, you know, things from the top of an organization filter down and just yeah. infect whether it's, you know, good things or really toxic misogyny, mm-hmm. narcissism. And sometimes I'm just watching this play out going, this is, I mean, it's bonkers and it's hor- horribly difficult for me and traumatic for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but because I didn't know, because this is so different than what I was being told mm-hmm. and, you know, it's, it, it's kind of shocking. Mm-hmm. Yeah. For like context here, a lot of this, you know, they're using the reason why they're talking about, uh, Melissa's situation with her ex-husband is because he is a comparator in this case. And it seems like the plaintiff's lawyer is trying to make the case that there's not been a consistent way in handling these things. And so that's why this was relevant. And so these attachments to this filing were things were a lot of conversations that were happening on email and depositions about Melissa's situation and you did not know what was being said until you read it, like internally. This was the no. first time. And so it's been uh, a couple months now since it came out. You've had time to process it. But initially, it was devastating. It's devastating it to see people refer to you as a bitch. It's devastating to see, like, oh, my goodness, there is a whole smear campaign against yeah, me. I mean, there uh, were... people that I had, you know, that you had trusted, you had no idea and you had done nothing no. at all. So, I mean, I mean, there were suggestions of things said in there that can damage my reputation mm-hmm. could, you know, suggest somehow that my law license should be examined, mm-hmm. that I'm not operating in a capacity that is, I, I mean, it was just mind blowing, frankly. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I still have to think and consider how I want to deal with that and respond to that. Do you think you but, have legal recourse for yourself? You know, I, I've thought about that as, as an, as a lawyer, you can't turn off your lawyer brain. Yeah. And, um, you know, when this was all going down, that was the last thing from my, you know, from my mind, I was trying to one survive and, you know, the greatest thing, help and support my children and, you know, get through this process. So that was the last thing on my mind. I was dealing with them to the extent I had to like, you know, get through all of this. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think there are definitely potential legal claims in a lot of areas for me, but you know, I look at, you know, any kind of legal claim is really traumatic Yeah, and I've been through a lot. My kids have been through a lot and, um, God has provided for us Mm -hmm. and stood by us. And he continues to reveal all of this information and protect us in a lot of ways. So, yeah, I mean, we have a great lawyer. I mean, Boz Chavigian is 
an amazing attorney and helps a lot of survivors of different kinds of abuse. And um, so, yeah, something we talk about. Yeah. Just an option to consider as you think through like the best thing for your family. And there's no easy answer for sure. So what were some of the depositions that kind of stood out to you? Who, who was deposed? What new information might be relevant or interesting to those that are kind of following this case? Yeah. You know, one thing that was really interesting that we're going to watch play out that, that haven't made sense of yet were emails in October of 2020 that suggest that they were getting ready to fire my ex-husband at that time. Um, I think at that point, they're talking about the fact that they looked at the divorce decree and had realized he was not being truthful, but I mean, (laughs) that was the pattern. Mm -hmm. Um, And, but they didn't end up firing him till March. Yeah. And in between that filing in October and March, the religion news service article came out in January and there was allegations about Chris in that. And the response from Ramsey was to completely defend him and make it seem like it was absolutely ridiculous that there was any, anything to that. So imagine this, like in October, they're having this, like some sort of email goes out that really seems to indicate they had a meeting. They had a meeting that they they are at the 90 minute meeting. Yeah. That they are at the end with Chris. Before the religion news service article comes out, when they and they gather all the employees together, they tell all of these employees these are baseless allegations. There is nothing here, but they have already been considering firing him right. or terminating and this him. Been really well, going it on seems since like I can't say that for sure, but that's what the the email seemed to indicate that they were seriously at the end of the rope with with Chris. They were willing to tell all their employees. Nothing to see here. Yeah. I mean, it's really mystifying. And, and for people who work there, I mean, you know, everybody has to go down. You, you only see when you see, you only know when you know, Um, but it's, it's a rabbit hole for sure of how they, how they navigated from October and that, that email. And apparently that meeting they had with him into January and then finally into March when, when one of the women that. I had told them, you know, several years prior about, you know, admitted. And again, I have, I have a lot of compassion for the women that were involved. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, women that knew he was married. Yeah. So in that sense, I mean, they knew, they knew what they were doing, but you know, there's a lot of lying and manipulation that, that goes into that. And I, I have compassion for them and I, you know, I hope they have worked through that and found mm-hmm. a way to forgive themselves. And um, yeah. Yeah. So there's other interesting things too, through some of these depositions. So I'll just run through some of the nuggets from okay. Dave's deposition. He consistently refers to an employment agreement as if the employees sign an employment agreement. Other depositions are very careful to say it's not an employment agreement. And I think do they say it's it not says- an agreement or do they say it's not a contract? Well, an agreement is a contract. Okay. Yeah. So it's very interesting that he doesn't seem to grasp that legal nuance Mm -hmm. of that. Um, He also refers to normative Jim beliefs. Normative what? Normative Christian beliefs. Okay. As the basis for what their standards are. When the whole concept of of a norm is 
you know, an, an average or, or calculation based on an entire population. And if you look and say that what Christians believe over time has changed, then that means the norm changes. Yeah. So that's a fascinating thing. What's interesting also is that he answers that they would fire a habitual liar. Okay. He says, um, it violates common sense to keep people that you can't trust. All right. And so I'm like, Hmm, I'm trying to, I'm trying to reconcile that because, you know, the Bible isn't just about sex, which shockingly, it isn't just about premarital sex. It's about a lot of things, you know, a huge one being lying and deceiving people and, you know, bullying people with your beliefs, which were the Pharisees. Mm -hmm. And um, they at Ramsey seems to really zero in on that, that sex part. Mm -hmm. I thought this would be a good time to clarify for you that although Melissa did bring to them her concerns about their marriage in regards to Chris's numerous occasions of infidelity, that wasn't the most serious things that she brought to them. She also shared some more very serious personal family things that were happening that should have alarmed Ramsey and they dismissed it. He refers to flirting as a minor violation of the righteous living policy um, in the context of this situation with, with the, the woman who came forward at the end, they knew enough in 2018 that any reasonable person would have said, Oh, this is, this is not good. And yes. this is probably, this is probably an affair. Yeah. Um, which is actually what I said to them. I believe it. They might be. Yeah. Um, so that goes to that issue of the investigation, right? You know, we've talked before about, you know, what to them is an investigation and they say over and over our investigation is to ask the people if they've done the thing. <laughs> that's not an investigation in case anybody wonders. <laughs> that's not, that's an, investigation. not an investigation. So, you know, it's not shocking at all that three years later, they would have to sit with the fact that everything I had said was true because every indicator they had at the time, um, anybody using a reasonableness standard or discernment about who's telling the truth and who isn't and what, what this kind of, this level of flirting of like, I wake up in the morning and, and have to call you and think about you and that's not even like flirting. That's, that's involvement in yeah. a relationship. They, I think they may have looked at his phone, but actually he had gotten part- rid of his phone. Do you remember that? So I don't know did. what they looked at because, well, there was a personal phone and a work phone. Yeah. And part of how I knew what I knew was from looking at the phone. Yeah. So, but it wasn't just a physical phone, right? It was phone records. Mm-hmm. I guess I'm a better HR investigator than they are. I don't know. It's, but if you, you know, look at and the phone I had records, you can see even if patterns. people have deleted things on their phones, you can see when calls are happening and texts mm-hmm. are happening. And if they're a pattern of like always happening, like late at night mm-hmm. or, you know, that and to the same person, you can see who you can yeah, see the number I mean, of the person. And ask someone that you know, it on multiple periods in my life had to, I mean, that was really one of the big signs were phone records for me. That's, that's how I put things together on multiple occasions in my marriage were patterns in phone records and, you know, one number texting or calling and then timing, you know, now 
people having affairs can hide it better. And he later learned to hide it better with burner phones and things like that. But, you know, these are, these were even basic things that, that Ramsey could have done. And I actually had a ton of evidence that they did not ask for. In their um, investigation that they said they investigated, did they ask you anything after you went to them? Dave asked me about one thing he asked if I had, he asked me if I had a recording of my husband admitting to an act of oral sex. That was the only thing he asked for. And I said, I don't know. Hmm. Um, but I mean, I actually had a lot of recordings, lots of papers, lots of documents, phone records, tons of things. But, you know, I would have thought that they would have used discernment to be able to look at a situation and, and clearly see what, what the truth was. Yeah. But another thing that they did not like is, is challenging them in any mm. way, not going along, you know, I actually in the meetings very meekly because I was sitting there praying my heart out because it was so difficult. You know, I'm, I'm the speaking out here. Now I have these other people, but I have all these people with power and influence over our income and all this stuff. And for me to say something and say, Hey, I think what you did here was not right. You know? And at one point I told Dave that something he has said, he proposed saying was not, um, that it was deceptive to say that, mm-hmm. Oh man, that was, that did not go over well. And, um, so, so yeah, it was, um, it was interesting. So then I looked at Suzanne's deposition. Um, one of the things she said was I offered no proof of the things I was talking about, although they said they believed me at the time. Um, I mean, I had a ton of proof. She said there was no indication that the affair with this fellow employee at the time was happening. And I want to say other than two other affairs and 10 years of lying and, and other really serious leaders from your church talking, saying this is happening and he's talking, he's admitted it. So, you know, the, just the lack of discernment there is just, uh, you know, it's putting your head in the sand really to justify not losing money. Um, you know, she talked about the investigation involved questioning him and they, they asked about affairs. She said, the only three we've been made privy to only three. <laughs> oh my word. I just had to chuckle because I just, you know, the minimization is so great. So another interesting thing was in my divorce action, one of the things that I did was to subpoena certain things from Ramsey that I knew should exist there. Mm-hmm. Um, because in Tennessee, Tennessee is a fault state for divorce. Um, unless you come to some kind of an agreement, you have to prove fault. So you have to prove adultery or, or things like that. And, and so that had existed, but he was saying, oh, I was trying to get him fired. So I wanted actual, like, here's actually what happened. So I'd asked for the recordings of, of these meetings that we knew existed. And I'd asked for notes that were taken at the meetings. Um, Cause I saw people taking notes Yeah, and you know, their response to the judge was no, these things don't exist. That the got your six meeting recording didn't exist. 
that notes from these meetings didn't exist. We actually knew they existed because they were on the central intranet Not at the, the time, notes, but the recordings of the, the recordings. Meetings. Yeah, they were but there. There were two depositions in which people admitted taking notes, you know, Jen Sievertson and Armando who runs the HR admitted that they had notes related to things related to my marriage or, or, you know, he had a call from, from my father that he had taken notes, but their Ramsey lawyer told the judge in the uh, case for your divorce that they didn't have any of those things. They didn't do any of those things. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, that's, uh, that's obviously seriously problematic. These are serious accusations to include in a podcast. And I just want to assure you that I would not include them here if I did not know them to be absolutely true. I sat in on a court hearing for Melissa's divorce, and it was the hearing where she was asking for documentation from Ramsey Solutions. And I heard the lawyer argue that Ramsey, the lawyer's client, did not have a recording of this team meeting and that they did not have notes from those meetings that Melissa asked about. Now we hear leaders under oath from these depositions in this new lawsuit, this O'Connor lawsuit, contradict what their lawyer told the judge in Melissa's earlier divorce hearing. Now, in contrast to Jen Sievertson and Armando admitting they had taken notes about some of this stuff, um, when asked about taking notes in some of these meetings, you know, Mark Floyd, who was the CFO said, oh, well, you know, this isn't like a board of directors. So we don't have minutes, but often I, I take notes, but then he said, well, but when we talk about more of the sensitive stuff, and I'm paraphrasing here, when we talk about more of the sensitive stuff, no one's, no one takes notes for that. How is it, it just random that everyone has didn't take notes? They would have had to decide this somehow together. We're not going to And it's actually the opposite of what you should do, because when you are de- like, I'm not an HR specialist, but I'm an attorney. You should document and, everything. Mm-hmm. When <laughs> yeah. you are handling something that is very sensitive, actually you you want to follow careful procedures. Mm-hmm. And um, but the you know, the issue is it sounds like they don't really have procedures for how they do this. So in in some ways, that was the probably a, a smarter. <laughs> Because they they do want to hide things and try to hide all the emails. And so if there were notes, it probably would say things that could be illegal or mm-hmm. yeah. would, you know, prop up that they'd had incorrect or illegal motives for different things. So, you know, maybe that's the reason they don't take notes about sensitive information. But um, it certainly isn't isn't something that I think a good HR person would advise. Yeah. We don't have a date for the trial yet, which is interesting. We're waiting on a ruling on Ramsey's motion for summary judgment. Is that the next thing that's going to happen? So in the O'Connor case, you know, the seal has come off a lot of the documents. And at this point, Ramsey has filed a motion for summary judgment. The O'Connor team has responded to that. So we're waiting for the judge to rule on that. And she has multiple claims. So it's possible that the judge could say, well, this claim is dismissed, but this claim is not, or, you know, it's completely denied. So we're waiting on a ruling on that motion. And then what it appears is they're going to set it for trial Yeah. after that. And, you know, between now and then there could be 
settlement discussions and and things like that. Thanks for taking the time to listen in as Melissa and I discuss the O'Connor lawsuit. I also want to note that I don't expect you to take our word for what's happening. If you want to see the court filings and documents we've discussed today, I've compiled some helpful links and a map to help you navigate all of this. You can find a link to that in the show notes. The show notes can be found in your favorite podcast app or by going to untangledfaithpodcast.com slash episodes and clicking on this episode. It would mean the world to me if you would pass this episode along to people who may benefit from hearing some of the behind the curtain information about Ramsey Solutions. The Untangled Faith Podcast is hosted and edited by me, Amy Fritz. This podcast is made possible by the support of my Patreon community. A special thanks to producers Michelle Pionic, Phil and Susan Perdue, Pam Forsyth, and Shelley Taylor. Thanks so much for listening. I'll see you next week.